Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 25 of the Mess Hall Podcast. This week's guest is Sean Dramiak. Of course I got his name wrong when I introduced him onto the podcast, so give that a listen. It's uh, something I always do. I don't know if I'll ever get anybody's name right, first and last. Um, but yeah, enjoy. And the Mess Hall Podcast is still a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. And this week's Podcast shout out is going to Ed Conversations about the teaching life. I've been listening to this podcast this week. It's been it's been fun. I liked it. With school coming up, I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, Ed sits down with other teachers and they talk about the teaching life. Just um, the episodes I've listened to have been fun. You know, he talked to somebody about homeschooling, which was very informative. Took some of the stereotypes away and. Last week's episode was dealing with um, a music teacher. So, you know, different podcasts, different takes on different ways of teaching or different types of teaching. So, you know, give that a shout out. It's Ed, conversation about the teaching life. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Um, I don't know how to pronounce your last name because I'm so horrible at last name. That's names. fine. You're not the first person to encounter that problem. My last name is Gramiak. Oh, hey. That's awesome. So you are from Edmonton. I am. We were talking beforehand. Maybe we can bridge the gap of peace between Calgary and Edmonton wouldn't that through be food. A, wouldn't that be a great start? <laughs> yes. So, um, so I was on your website dinner guest I saw. Amiable dinner companion. Dinner companion. Yes. That's what got me. I, I saw dinner companion and I thought that was awesome. So what do you mean by like when you're a dinner companion with somebody, what does that mean for you? Uh, I think uh, part of it is, I mean, part of it is uh, the term I like to use because I stole it from Gentleman's Quarterly is called prandial communion. And it basically means, I mean, you got good food, you got good drink, but a lot of it is also good conversation. Yes. That's the thing. Like, I, I remember a friend took me out to uh, one of those fondue places, which is an amazing experience because I'm usually a big eater. Uh, but these places, it's small amounts, slowly brought out to you. Mm-hmm. So your dinner kind of goes to be like two hours long. Yes. But in the interim, you have a chance to discuss so much and uh, and in, enjoy it. And that's the thing. I mean, you have to be a... I think to be an amiable dinner companion, you have to be a sparkling conversationalist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I'm 100% in with you on that one. For me, um, it's not always about the food. Yes. It's about the conversation. It's about the guest. And that's what makes a good meal. Undoubtedly, yeah. You can have the world's best steak or the world's greatest whatever, but if you're just eating it by yourself and or if you're just looking at your phone with somebody across from you, right. it's not as fun. It's 
Right. And well, and I mean, you've hit on a really good point. I mean, I am, I am a person who's perfectly fine going solo in a restaurant mm-hmm. and I actually appreciate that. But the whole idea of like, I'll look around me and the number of people who are on quote unquote dates who are checking their phones consistently. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in the technology business. So to me, that's kind of the, that's kind of the curse that has come along with technology. Uh, and on top of that, I, I also have a friend who we used to go out consistently for breakfast. Then he turned around and got married. God bless him. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is, we'd have good conversations, but uh, there would come a point where he'd just hoover down whatever he was eating. It was like quite the spectacle to watch. Okay. Uh, so in the same breath, I mean, you've got to have, uh, you know, you've got to, you got to take your time with your meal too, to yes. really properly enjoy it as well. Yeah. And that's something I've been trying to do over the last three, four or five years, especially like getting out of the cooking industry mm-hmm. because I've been in kitchens all my life and it's just you grab something to eat on the go and you eat it really quickly because you have to go back to work. Right. So now I'm just trying to pace myself almost. And my wife was in the same boat. She was a cook and now she's not. But sometimes we'll be eating supper and I'll just reach over and put my hand on her hand. We'll just take a breath. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Just slow down. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I also wonder too, I mean, being in, in professional cooking, uh, I have a friend who's a chef as well, and uh, I know that it's appreciated when a person likes what you've created, but I always got to kind of wonder when you put your heart and your soul into plating something beautiful, like a work of art, and sending it out, and you see somebody hoovering it down like it's a Big Mac, like not appreciating the work that you've put into it. That's got to be kind of a crusher. It is, but I also look at it from the other side as well. Did they eat everything off your plate? That, that's, yeah, that is true. And then, that's what I really watch. If they eat everything off your plate, and, they're, and they have a smile on their face, that's what I like. Well, and, and, and I can, okay, and I can hum a few bars of that tune, because my colleague, David Husserow, uh, I'll double check, his, his YouTube channel is, his series is called, I Can Teach You How to Make That. I was at one of his live cooking classes, and he made a curry, a root vegetable curry that included parsnips, turnips, potatoes, and carrots. Parsnips and turnips are my two most reviled foods that there are. But when you had this curry, it was spellbindingly good. And uh, that's the other thing I appreciate is that when a cook can uh, turn my opinion around, on a uh, on a particular type of food, I'll have to try that. I, I'm gonna have to see what he did because I'm in the same boat as you. Turnips are horrible. Yes, I despise them. Yeah. I hate them. I don't. They're just they're not for me. And if I, I found a recipe that was good for turnip, yeah, I'd, I'd probably make it because my son likes it, my wife makes it, so. Yeah, or and I likes it. So. Well, and I also came from a family. I mean, you know, good old-fashioned parents. If you didn't like the vegetable, you puree it, you mix it in with mashed potatoes, <laughs> so you can't possibly avoid it. Or you puree it and you put it into the stew, so you can't, you know, avoid it. But uh, someone who can actually make it good, uh, and that's the thing that is mind-boggling to me. Like, 
Uh, I'm a huge fan of rhubarb, giant fan of rhubarb. Hmm. But for years, the only thing you could get were rhubarb pie recipes or relish or jam recipes. And now, you know, thanks to the internet, there are so many people who are expanding the, the collections of recipes out there. I found rhubarb pasta sauces. And pasta sauce and pasta is something I love. So if you can take such a ubiquitous, bitter plant mm-hmm. and make it a staple, mind-bogglingly good. See, I thought we were going to get along today, but I might have to just call it there. I hate <laughs> rhubarb. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I will forward you my recipe, and that will, that will change your life. My wife, my wife loves it. We grow a whole bunch in the backyard. She made a rhubarb barbecue sauce that was tolerable. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can totally see that. I've seen rhubarb ketchup recipes as well. Yeah. But uh, I think with the proper spicing, rhubarb can actually work. But I think you're 100% right. With the internet and so many resources out there and people trying new things, even with something like rhubarb where you just imagine it as a pie or jam or something... Now there's so much more out there for that one horrible thing. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, all these horrible vegetables and fruits have a new lease on life. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And you're not the first person to mention, like, rhubarb and how good it is and diverse it is. And yes. I, and I think that's something that food has come a long way in, I'd say, even the last five years, is the versatility of everything. Right. And... You know, sure, tomatoes are still tomato sauce and, and, and other things. But, that, like you said, the rhubarb or turnip, it's not just mashed turnip anymore. Right. If And same as tofu. I'm not a huge tofu fan, but my wife makes this, like, baked tofu. Yes. And, and I like it. It's, and I finally went on record saying I found something good for tofu. Well, and... <laughs> Tofu was a hard sell for me, too, uh, until my niece uh, introduced me to these tofu blocks. You can get them at Safeway or most mm-hmm. of your stores that are mango-flavored and coconut-flavored, and that stuff works for me. Uh, and I was also introduced to... We have a couple Vietnamese sub-places in Edmonton, and they will do... Uh, they'll fry uh, uh, tofu in uh, fake bacon flavor, basically. Okay. Fake bacon smoke. And they'll put that into Vietnamese subs. They're vegetarian subs. So uh, it does a decent job. It's a basically good mimic. But I think we all fall victim. I mean, your mashed turnip example is perfect. Because we fall victim to coming from a generation, no offense to them, because they just picked up what the previous generation did, of not really preparing food properly. Yeah. yeah. Boil it, fry it, bake it. That's it. That's all you're going to do with it. And as a result, people get introduced uh, to foods in such a way that you, that you can't like it. Uh, whereas I had an instance to go to an Esmali conference where it was a completely vegetarian, multi-course meal. And that, that proved to me that vegetarian food can actually be good. Because yeah. up to that point, I was forcing myself to eat vegetarian meals. I was like, "What are? how can a person live like this? Yeah, and I feel the same way. I've forced some vegetarian meals down. But what I like now about vegetarian meals compared to a little while ago, and it's still out there, but 
not masking it. It's not a fake chicken. It's, right. Let's call it what it is, and that's what I like about more of the trend going with vegetarian meals. It doesn't have to be a fake chicken breast. It doesn't have to be fake turkey or fake beef. Right. Tell me what it is, and that's what I'll be expecting. Yes. When you tell me it's fake chicken, then, oh, hey, I'm really looking forward to this chicken, and it doesn't have the taste or texture of chicken. It's close, but it's not chicken. Just Right. If you tell me it's like a vegetarian loaf or something like that, like a lentil loaf, or yeah. just tell me what it is, and that's what I like. Well, and that's the idea. I agree. If If, you know, someone tells me it's a mushroom patty, I'm fine, because I love mushrooms. That's good. Uh, but in the same breath, quit telling me you can make a vegetarian cheese, because I've tried a great variety, and they are horrendous, almost yes. uniformly horrendous. Yep. And they don't cook properly. Uh, I was knocked on my ass by A&W's Beyond Meat Burger, because they actually seem to have something here. They do. You know, but it's also it also taught me that a burger, for the most part, is just a transport for the condiments. If you get the condiments right, you're laughing. You <laughs> the peanut, the the patty in the middle can be made of anything almost, as long as you got your right balance of of uh, mustard and ketchup and mayo. Yes, yes, I'm a huge condiment fan. <laughs> um, I never thought of burgers that way. I've thought of other things that way, like fries are a vehicle for just to get more ketchup. Um, yes, indeed. Or nachos are just a vehicle sometimes for cheese and sour cream and salsa. But, yep. Yeah, I never thought of a burger as just getting that right combination of... You bet. When you start adding fried eggs and bacon and ham and everything, like how much of that burger is actually kind of making it through to your palate? I mean, not too much. Exactly. You know, that's kind of bit. Not that I have an issue with that. I, <laughs> I can't go with fried eggs on a burger, but uh, you can you can stack mine pretty high. Yeah, I, I I like a lot of things, but then I just like a plain cheeseburger. Yeah, and that's sometimes that's what a good burger is. And it doesn't have to have the fried egg or bacon or, well, I guess you can have bacon on everything. Sure, but. You know, like you said, ham or like pulled pork and avocado, whatever you want to put on there. But sometimes just that cheeseburger with ketchup is magic. You bet. And and for me, the hamburger is the tester meal for any new chain restaurant that I go into. Mm. Uh, because basically, if you can't get a hamburger right, uh, chances are you're not going to get, you know, the chicken pesto on the mark or, or you know... A burger is a basic thing, and, uh, you know, if you're no better than a real fast food joint, then then there's an issue there somewhere. Yeah. So, have you ever been to the States and had a burger that wasn't well done? Uh, I'm trying to recollect. The only thing I remember, when I've been down in the States, the only thing I recollect eating, because I had cut a deal with a place to perform there if I worked for food. <laughs> uh, all I had there were steaks, which impressed the hell out of me because I, the steaks were giant and cheap, which was amazing. I'm trying to recollect if I had burgers down there, but if I did, they never stuck with me. They never... No, okay. no I don't recollect them. Uh, 
So, yeah, I don't know what the cooking style is. I know my steaks were always pretty... If I asked for rare, they came in at rare. But uh, was that your experience, that they always overcook the burgers? No. Um, well, in Canada, we always cook it well done. But in the right. States, they ask you how you want your burger done. So oh, okay. It's, it's, I've always said well done, except the last time I was down there. I was in Vegas, and I got a burger, and they said, how do I want my burger done? And I was feeling adventurous, so I asked for it medium. Right. came out, like, medium wellish. Okay. And, and I wasn't upset by that. Okay. But, yeah, it was kind of interesting. So do you think rare would be rare, or would it be blue? Oh, I think it'd still be rare. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... I don't think I could go that far. Yeah, oh, yeah. My, bro- my, 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 my brother orders stuff usually blue. Okay. Which uh, amazes the hell out of me. Uh, I've always wanted to try a steak tartare to okay. see what it would be like. Uh, and there's... I, I think the other dish is... I think it's called kibbe. But there is, uh, uh, I think there's a Middle Eastern dish where it, the, the ground beef is basically, it's not cooked at all. Okay. It's more like a tartare. But uh, yeah, again, I definitely have to be more adventurous for that. I've, my, uh, my sister and uh, uh, my brother-in-law went to Montana and uh, I don't know where they went, but it was a barbecue place where basically they just gave you a pile of raw meat. And then you went out back to the big barbecues they had back there and you cooked your own burgers. Hmm. Which, uh, I don't know what, if they'd hold up to health standards here in Canada, but uh, it sounded like a brilliant idea. Sounds like a brilliant idea. I, f- I picture a lot of fighting with them. Like, when I'm cooking, I want my space. Yes. And if somebody comes into my space, I get a little anxious and yeah. I don't want them there. So I don't know if I'd want to share that space. I yeah I I guess I'm even all, though it's, if it's just still a steak or a burger it's still right. my space and it's it took my wife and I a long time to be able to go to the same kitchen <laughs> that's awesome um, probably about <laughs> I'd say twelve thirteen years into our relationship where holy we crow able to cook in the same kitchen together wow we tried it before and yeah it was just like no I'm not cooking with you in here. Wow. I will leave and yeah. I'll come back and do whatever I have to do. Wow. But now we can sort of get along. And- <laughs> For me, I don't know. I, uh, uh, the hamburger uh, barbecue idea sounds adventurous. Uh, I've went with uh, my family to, uh, we have a Korean barbecue place not too far from us where they just bring out the, they have the grills embedded in the tables. They don't cook for you. You just go up to the buffet they turn on the, the settings for you. It's kind of like a hot pot situation. Yeah, yeah. And it takes a little getting used to, but I really enjoy that as well. That's, that's, but, I mean, there's, uh, you really have to make an effort. You can still mess it up. You can still mess up your meal. But uh, usually it takes a little bit of effort to, to do so in a scenario like that. Okay. And usually the staff kind of keep an eye on you so, you, you know, you can't burn everything you're cooking. Hey everyone, just going to take a quick time out here from the podcast to give you a quick commercial break. Working in the arts means income can be as varied as a time signature or brush stroke. The ATB branch for arts and culture was built for artists so you can do banking in a way that works for you and meet other industry professionals. Creative banking working together. That's why ATB is always more than just a bank. Creative Minds needs creative banking. 
That's why ATB created a branch for arts and culture, a branch that understands artists don't live by the rules or standard pay schedules, so you can be creative and not just have to worry about your checking account. It's a creative space for creative types, and just one more way, ATB will always be more than just a bank. If you're an artist, check out ATB's branch for arts and culture. A bank, a music venue, a creative space all in one. So whether you're a budding musician wanting advice on how to save for a new instrument, or an artist looking for a bank that understands how business works, ATB can help. Check them out online at atb.com slash the brand. Well, I guess I did share. We went to a a fondue place like you were talking about earlier. And I was able to share my space there. Right. So maybe I could share a barbecue. Yeah, also. but you're not doing a lot of prep work. That's the beauty of a fondue place, yes. too. Not a lot uh, of prep work or anything. Um, I just, like you said earlier, I like how they just bring you out whenever. Yeah. You just cook it. Yeah. No pressure. And it, it is one of those fun things just to sit around and talk. And You bet. And because it's paced out so well, too, I mean, uh, the chance for overeating is, like, uh, I, again... I'm a big eater. I like large portions. And uh, when the stuff was coming out to this fondue, I was kind of, I was concerned because I was thinking, are we getting value for the, I've also staunchly got into the category of value for money. So it's kind of like, are we getting our money's worth here? But then you realize as the meal is paced out, your body has a chance to react to it. Mm -hmm. And the chance for overeating actually becomes very, very slim. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking a lot about the value for money lately, too. Yeah. And that's... I don't like fine dining as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I think... When I used to go for fine dining, I think it was just to be... Say, I went to this place, almost. Yes. But now I don't want to do it, because... I don't want to go get a burger after I eat. Right. So... Yeah. Fine dining, yeah, is definitely a status symbol. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's no way you should be paying, you know, $75 or $100 for a steak. No. For just the piece of meat. It, it better be the best steak. Exactly. And, and on top of that, too, uh, I've started cooking a lot more for myself. I'm an avid gardener. That's a really big thing with me. Mm-hmm. And what you find, or at least I found, is that in time... Uh, fine dining and even regular dining at a uh, chain restaurant you get to see how much filler is on your plate Mm -hmm. how much useless filler that is calculated just to make you hungry again so uh, you start cooking for yourself number one you can up the quality of what you're eating and what you're cooking and it doesn't take a hell of a lot of effort no, no, and and you're right. You talk about what's on your plate. I went out for for lunch yesterday, and I got a salad with my wrap. And this place is good. I've never I've never had a bad meal there, and the salad mm-hmm. was all right. But they had cherry tomatoes and cucumber on top, and I like spring mix because you get them. But right. it just seemed like a little layer of spring mix because <laughs> under that, it was just like chopped romaine. Yes, yes. So I've yes. never seen a layered salad like that. <laughs> if they mix the chopped romaine in with the spring mix, I would have been happy with that. Right. But I felt almost cheated right. by having that layer. Because they're obviously camouflaging the cheaper lettuce at the yes. bottom. Yes, yeah, yeah, for and sure. I, I was not impressed by that. I, 
I felt cheated. Right. I, I really did. But if it was mixed together, they would have been able to get it. I would have been fine with it. 100% fine. But. And even, yeah, and yeah, cheap lettuce is a strange phrase because all your lettuce, if you grow it in a garden, is reasonably cheap. Yes. I mean, you can plant that entire spring mix and have it ready and waiting to go. And uh, I found this year, I planted, I'm always a big fan of Swiss chard and spinach. Those are my two main greens. But I planted collard greens this year. Okay. And uh, they, they've been a godsend. They'll, they'll return next year. I forgot this year to plant kale because I'm also kind of a kale fan. Uh, although I, uh, you mentioned uh, pineapple on your pizza being a, uh, a conflict, a contentious issue. Uh, I've had my fair share of discussions over kale as well. So. Yeah, I'm a. I like kale. Yeah. Not a huge spinach fan. What I really like is arugula. Okay, I, and I haven't used that a lot myself. I I like the pepperiness of it. Right. It's just a different flavor. Um, it's not a bland lettuce. Right. Um, definitely has some zing and some zip to it and interesting it has a bite like it's yeah it's a good lettuce and i'll use that on anything like if i'm making a burger right instead of putting lettuce i'll use arugula interesting and okay what we find is we bu- we buy a big case of arugula we don't use it the first couple days and or we do use it a couple days and there's a little bit left and it starts to starts to turn gets the yellowish right We'll make pesto out of it. Awesome. I'm a huge pesto fan, too. Yeah. yeah. So we don't have nuts at our house, but we use uh, sunflower seeds. Yeah. So it's not your traditional pesto, but, like, we have the kale, or, sorry, like, it, we you can put kale in there, too, but, yeah, the arugula, some sunflower seeds, some olive oil, salt, pepper, um, and a little bit of Parmesan cheese, and it's a great pesto. Yeah. Pesto is a godsend, because... Uh, in my garden, the two things I can have guaranteed to come up every year are two rows of chives, one row of onions. And generally, everything in my garden bolts really quickly, grows really fast. So what I've come to do is rather than, than cooking the onions, I trim the scapes off the top. I take the greens off. Same thing with chives. Those pesto beautifully. You can throw in just a small handful of basil. It stretches it out. And uh, this year, I also learned how to make... Uh, coconut cannabis butter and uh, I was looking around for what to do with the remainder after you've kind of made the oil what do you do with what you cooked and I was thinking a topical salve or ointment and then I ran across these recipes for making uh, pesto or point blank they said throw it in your pesto and I thought you know A I hate the taste of weed but B, if you moved it into basil and pine nuts, it would most likely complement or be camouflaged. So one of my next recipes on the go is to make a uh, a magical pesto. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm. There's an interesting trend towards that, and I want to be a part of it, and I want to be able to make different things, and I've been researching it and. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of disappointed that the government is waiting a whole year after legalization of marijuana to allow for edibles. Right. And I think, I mean, that entire thing, and I mean, again, we, we were chatting earlier and talking about, you know, not necessarily making this a political podcast. That's not my intent here either. I'm just 
bemused by the whole fact that the le decriminalization and legalization is something that seems to appeal to just one segment of society because the rest of society has been eating and smoking weed for years mm -hmm. and or you know for you know literally decades yeah uh so all i see decriminalization being is is the taxation of it which i agree with which i think could go to a great deal of social programs or mm -hmm. great uses if it's not sp spent buying boats which i think is the more likely of the two options yeah yeah probably like, I'm not a huge weed fan. I haven't done it since high school, maybe right. when I tried it. But, like, I'm never that person that says, oh, you got to stop using it and yeah. you're, you're the devil. But um, I was hoping to make edibles and sell mm -hmm. them, like, at a farmer's market setting. Right. And that was my... Right. So that that's my disappointment. And well, yeah, and I'm a late-stage convert, contrary to how I look I haven't used drugs my whole life I was a straight edge for probably at least 45 years of it mm -hmm. and at one point I was very judgmental of anyone who used weed and because I have alcoholism in my background super judgmental of alcoholics uh, but then one time and if you come and watch my show you'll find out the full story uh, I just got a vape pen handed to me and it changed my life and uh, I've had to move away from smoking just because of what it does to your lungs. But I do find edibles just a wonderful, long-lasting sort of thing that kind of puts you in the pocket, makes you super chill with everything. And uh, again, just uh, it <laughs> literally makes bike riding better. <laughs> it makes food taste better. It makes... I used to say it made people more tolerable until a friend corrected me and said, no, it makes you more understanding. And that I can agree with. I don't, uh, I don't, dis uh, how can I say, I don't disagree with the concept that there will be people and there are always people who have major addiction problems with it and real trouble with it. Mm -hmm. It will ruin lives. But just like wine, you know. Yeah, and that's the way I look at it should be treated the same way. Yeah. There are going to be addicts, but on the same hand, there's going to be people that are responsible and use it. And that, the, and that will be the majority of people. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. I want to make edibles. <laughs> so, yeah. And not cookies, um, like savory items and stuff like that. That will be fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in that side. Right now... I am still doing chocolates. Oh, okay. And chocolates is uh, the thing. Again, my chef colleague uh, mentioned, or he, he said that baking, especially, is a science. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really finding that, you know, there's there's a reason Bernard Calibo is a well-regarded chocolatier because that is really an art unto itself. It is. So. Um. I've, and I'm going to upset some people with this comment, but I, I don't think baking is much of as is as much of a science as bakers lead on. Yeah, okay. And what brings you to that supposition? Because I've experimented a lot with baking. Right. And 
I've never had it where, oh, it needs to be exactly like this, which a baker okay. will tell you. Right. You need exactly this amount. And I've never had it where I needed exactly that amount. You can go over, under, you can fiddle the time. As long as you know the core basics of it, Right. there's still a lot of room for play. Okay. Same as soup. You don't have to be a master sautéer to cook off your vegetables before you make soup. Right. But if you know that core to make soup, then you're going to be successful. Soup I could agree with. I'm still experimenting very much with pie crusts. Okay. Uh, but that's what I love about cooking, too. It's the constant experimentation. Uh, generally speaking, even if you mess up, the food will still be generally good. It'll still be palatable. And that's the beauty, too, of, of making edibles. Because the thing is, I know I've messed up a batch of chocolates. I know that in my heart. <laughs> because they do taste weedy, and I detest that in edibles. I've had no end of people tell me, try out this brownie. You can't even taste the weed in it, and it's a filthy lie. It's because their taste buds have been killed by years of use of weed. Oh, okay. They couldn't taste weed if they ate a pound of it. Conversely, though, I've ate brownies where you may get the hint, but you have no idea of exactly how much is in there. It is a yummy brownie to eat. And the latest batch of chocolates I made, yeah, they're weedy. I can't get around that. But I do know that I have my next 60 weekends booked because to finish off those chocolates, I'll probably have one on a Friday and that'll do me through into Saturday for, you know. So eating the garbage as the result of your cooking is still a wondrous thing. Yes. And I, I know I experiment a lot with cooking still. Mm-hmm. And there have been meals that I mess up, and then we're going out for pizza. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, I mean, some you can't redeem, but... No, and I'm not too ashamed to admit it. Yeah. Not every meal comes out perfect, so... Right, but, right. But I do love the experimenting of food. Yes. And any kind of food, whether yes. it is baking or making a soup. It's, it's all fun. It really is fun. You bet. And with me, I'm fascinated with cooking in bulk. Because the number one thing that throws you off, I firmly believe, in people sticking to eating plans or trying to manage their money or any of that, is convenience. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So, I mean, if you pre-cook portions of your pasta sauces and, you know, all, you know, your, your chicken for your uh, omelets and all this sort of stuff, then it and I mean you being in professional cooking, it's all organization and management mm -hmm. of your resources because you're trying to make sure you have minimum spoilage and everything goes out great. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the same thing with me. And and again, this is August. I've got like three apple trees to harvest and probably one pear tree. And August and September is going to be a lot of labor, peeling, processing, saucing, pureeing. But that leads me into winter, and this is the year I'm going to try to shoot for it, is to keep my dining out maybe to once a week. Yeah, and that's what we do. Yeah. We, we recently bought a 20-pound box of tomatoes last weekend. Yes. So this nice. week it was uh, just some easy chopped up stewed tomatoes. Yeah. Because that's what we like, and we also made tomato sauce. and So now we have freezers full of... Got yeah. the uh, 
freezer bags too. Yes. Like the uh, food saver ones. That right. The vacuum, the, the vacuum ones. Yeah. And that's I love that. Have you done the blanching of vegetables in those bags? No, not yet. Okay. Again, my chef buddy suggested, and I was looking, the company Uline sells those bags for your vacuums, and they are microwavable and boilable. And, yeah, yeah. And a colleague of mine talked about blanching, because that's the next step I want to get into. My sister has one of those Instapots, yeah. and uh, you can sterilize your jars in them. And I've never done canning before. Uh, but I have noticed that I take apples and with leftover pickle brine, I just pack the jar with apples. They'll sit, I, it's freezer pickling or fridge pickling, I should yeah. say. And, uh, pickled apples have come to replace pickles in a lot of my tuna salads and a lot of anything that requires pickles. Interesting. I'm moving over to pickle apples, but I do want to try the real canning of them as well nice that, that sounds interesting i never had a pickled apple pickled carrots yeah delicious yes pickled asparagus delicious yeah pickled so, apples they can't see why they wouldn't be good oh it, naturally sweet and generally kind of benign as far as taste not a strong taste to start with mm-hmm. so it really does absorb uh your pickling brine really yeah, nicely because i i have a love for pickled hot peppers mm-hmm. but there's a lot of sodium in them so yes. i've started making my own pickled hot peppers Yes. And they're delicious. And I add a little bit more than just pickles in it. I like pearl onions in there, like yep. sliced up pearl onions. I slice up garlic, so That's a brilliant when, idea. when I'm making a sandwich, it's I got slices of pickled garlic, I got slices of pickled onions, I got hot peppers and That's a great idea. I should throw oh my god. I should throw sweet onions in with the apples. Because apples yeah. and onions, they're the basis of most of your curries too. Yeah, and they go together well. Yes. Beautifully. Awesome. When I'm making a curry, I like to put banana in there. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm making, if I'm making a curry tonight, I, yeah, towards the end, I'll just chop up a banana, put it in, and it like, it falls apart. So you're not yeah. eating a slice of banana. Right. And yeah, it just adds this natural sweetness to it. Oh, that is crazy. That yeah. is awesome. Okay. I, I learned that from an old chef and. God love him. It was a great... I thought he was going to be crazy putting right. banana in there. Like, what are you doing? Right. It turned out so good. That is such a phenomenal idea. Because I have a recipe for... Uh, well, again, it's a rhubarb <laughs> lentil soup. Okay. That it really is a little kick of it. It is... Maybe a person could do maybe half a cup to a cup as an appetizer... Because it does kick you in the butt. It really is a strong taste. But it's not a rhubarby taste. It is, it's East Indian spicing and it's good and strong spicing. But I found if I mix that half and half with a Thai coconut curry soup that I make, it's, it's got still a little bit of that strength of the spicing, but it's not, it doesn't get you. So, uh... If I throw uh, a banana in either to that coconut curry soup or the lentil soup, that could be a very good experiment to try. Do you ever have, like, a dill pickle soup? I can't quite get behind that. No? I'm not... Just too pickly or too... Too pickly. I'm not even a big fan of deep-fried dill pickles. No. Um, And dill itself is something that uh, I still am on the fence about. 
Uh, I'm Ukrainian, so that meant a lot of sour cream sauces with pierogies. Mm -hmm. I still believe a good pierogi should stand by itself without any sauce of any kind. Maybe a little bit of butter, but that should be it. Okay, so I hope everybody uh, skipped last week's podcast. Oh, listen to this you, one. You, had a, you had a big uh, sour cream supporter on there? Yes, your, we're both, uh, both Brittany and I are big sour cream supporters. And, and I'm not saying that that's bad. Not saying that no. it's inherently bad, but I'm saying that your base product, your pierogi, has to be good enough to be by itself. I, I can see that. You bet. And that's where I found that no key as has also been a godsend, or gnocchi, depending on how yeah, they say it. Yeah, I know it. what you're talking about. Uh, because basically, it, you're mix, it's, it's a potato dumpling anyway. So it's primarily a pierogi. I mean, yeah. the only thing it's really missing is cheese. Yeah. But you, there are some recipes out there where you still will throw in cheese. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the same deal without all the labor, generally speaking. Uh, but getting back to sour cream, a sour cream dill sauce is perfectly fine, perfectly nice. But it's just that we had a real bounty of that when we were kids. Okay. Uh, so it kind of turned me off of it to an extent. But growing herbs is another uh, thing I have to really get to master. This is the first year I've had three decent basil plants. You're, so I, I have a hard time with basil. And, and I think the key to it is that has to be container gardening. Hmm. I've tried doing it in rows, nothing. But I had friends who invited me over to pick their basil plants a couple of years ago, and they had them in uh, wood boxes, larger wood boxes, like patio decorative yeah. ones. Yeah. And their basil plants got like two feet high, and the leaves on them were stupid. And I found this year, my basil plants aren't that good, but they are far better than when I've planted them in rows in a garden. Nice. So, But, um... I'm going to leave that there. This has been an awesome conversation. Well, thank you. Um, Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, Anything coming up that you'd like to promote? Well, you know, this weekend, by the time you post it, it'll be done and gone. But I've had the pleasure to come back to uh, Yuck Yucks Calgary, which has always been my second home. Been having fantastic shows with Laurie Ferguson Ford and Chris LaBelle. Uh, Just a great general time. Uh, all I'm going to ask you good folks to do is check out seangramiak.com. Uh, that <laughs> website is under redevelopment because it's out of date. And as my dear colleague who's a tech, who runs his own tech business said, I'll redesign it for you because frankly, it's just not very good. <laughs> so uh, please, nonetheless, even if we, you know, depending on when that redesign happens, check back at seangramiak.com. Uh, and keep your eyes on the yuckyucks.com websites. If I'm back in Calgary, I'll be, I'll be there. And uh, add me on Facebook and on Twitter at stfugramiac.com. And please check out my uh, podcast, me and JP Fournier's co- uh, podcast, The Movie Jerks. We review shitty movies so you don't have to watch them. <laughs> and one last thing, check out David Husserow and his channel uh i can teach you how to make that i just need to double check that that is the thing and uh anyway look up david husserow he has been on uh chopped uh chopped canada uh he is a very talented chef and his youtube uh his youtube is responsible for teaching me how to make cannabis butter so there cool great and thank you very much this is awesome